Okay, y'all. Welcome back to Love and Grit. We made it to season two. We did it. Thank you for sticking with us. My name is Laia. I'm Justin. And I'm Rachel. And as we celebrate our first episode of 2021, we also celebrate Black History Year. I mean, month. Yes. (laughs) And we think this episode's lineup will be just what you need to kick off this Love and Grit year. What better way to do that than with some good Black love? Husband and wife team Cody Elaine and Tommy Oliver have brought this love to our screens for the world to witness and also managed to turn it into an empire. Also coming up, Philly's own Crystal Streets, from superstar stylist and magic maker for your favorite celebrity to fine jeweler, diamond concierge, and healer. What even is that? Told you we're gonna start this year with a bang. From loving to healing, we got what you need. But first, a round of Philly faves. Today's topic, your favorite current Philly change maker. I'm thinking it's the winter season and basketball and sports are really important right now. So I think I really want to say Temple University's John Chaney. He recruited locally. Several of his players went to the NBA. I think he truly embodied the spirit of Philly's love and grit. That man moved mountains. Yeah. So mine's going to be Mark Siegel. He really has been a pioneer in gay rights, not just in Philadelphia, not just in the U.S., but in the world. He crashed Walter Cronkite's newscast live on the air. I mean, this guy's been fighting for 40, 50 years for gay people. And we now have somebody who's openly gay on the cabinet. But I mean, when he crashed Walter Cronkite, nobody would have ever even thought about that. So we've come a long way. Congrats to Pete Buttigieg, too. I'm like, man, progress, Mm -hmm. right? All right. Well, I'm going to pick the youngest of our crew, Marley Diaz. Young Marley Diaz, you know, from the Thousand Books initiative that she did for children. And she's also an author and a best-selling author in her own right and on everybody's Black history list for books to read for this month. So I go with, I believe now, 15-year-old Marley Diaz from Philly. And people need to read those books all year, not just in February. Word up from your list. Okay, Justin. Okay, that's right. Tell them. Tell the people. (laughs) Should we get started? Yeah. Season two. Our first guests have proved that not only does Black love continue to thrive and shine, Black love can also build an empire. Yes, Cody, Elaine, and Tommy Oliver are a power couple. Their most successful collaboration to date, Black love, the most watched unscripted show in own network's history, has now evolved into websites, an app, a network, and a movement. Together, they are a movement. Separately, they are forces to reckon with, having both produced and directed their fair share of successful projects. Tommy, born and raised in Philly, most recently brought us the timely HBL doc, 40 Years a Prisoner, and Cody's new project, While We Gather, celebrates the achievements of women leading to the historic election of the U.S. first female vice president, who just happens to be Cody Soror and a co-alumnus. So I know they're dope, and there's so much to talk about, so let's get to it. Whew. That was a lot and incredibly kind, but I would say you got one thing wrong. I would call our best collaboration the Three Little Munchkins. I was going to say that. I would do it in a cheeky way. How was that not cheeky? No, but I mean, oh, I guess, are we, yeah. (laughs) Yes, I was going to say the same. Our three. 
we have a four-year-old named Brooks, yes. and Our that came name. from that's Cody's maiden name. And we have twins, two-year-old twins, and Aristotle and Langston. With names like this, they're gonna have to be great, Aristotle and Langston. And they wait, are. what's the oldest baby? Brooks. 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 We argued over our oldest son's name for six months. Not just argued, but nine. she was crying and it was bad. And it was just not a good thing because I wanted to name my first son Junior. Thomas Edward Oliver Jr. Oh, yeah. I, 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 and she was like, no! <laughs> just like that? Just like that, though? But we're going to clarify. Prior to getting pregnant, we had agreed that the name Brooks. We agreed it was a great name. I never agreed we were on that the it was same going to be page. the name. I feel like I'm in an episode of Black Love. So <laughs> right? we were fighting back and forth. And one of the other things about the pregnancy was that she really wanted to have a natural childbirth. Cut to, we were going through the whole process at home and we transferred to the hospital. Our son's heart rate was dropping, so we had to have an emergency C-section. Correct. Scary. Which was scary. the opposite of what she wanted. For sure. Yeah. And so it wasn't a natural childbirth. It wasn't a vaginal birth. It was a cesarean. And so I didn't want her to not have the childbirth process that she wanted and not have the name and so so after he Cody, came out, went through all that to get your but she got what she wanted i know you guys are so over this story but no i love this story <laughs> so i could you know where the baby has been born right but his name is thomas Edward Oliver jr i'm holding him and tommy goes we can name him brooks <laughs> so technically it's beautiful it's wonderful so sweet love it so technically tommy named our son okay then I get pregnant with twins. Oh, no, but then, Hold on. No, 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 no. So the <laughs> no, no. Next time around, there was. Yes, yes. Next time around, I got to name. Yes. And so, but there was a wrinkle in it. We had twins. And so she was like, oh, no, you get to name one. I was like, no, I get to name this pregnancy. He said, I get to name this pregnancy. pregnancy. <laughs> That's not fair. I have literally like, oh. never heard that before. <laughs> that was an amazing <laughs> play by thing. you. One pregnancy, two names. <laughs> right? Yep. So, Aristotle and Langston. Yes, and there's even more to it. So y'all can Wait. ask all the questions you want. We can go back. I'm curious. So we just had this interaction and we got to see so much of your personality as a couple. How does that work when you're producing your show and getting these other couples together as they're telling their stories? And how do you play off of these couples and decide where a segment or a story is going to go? we make it very much a conversation. We try our best to keep ourselves out of it when with what you see on air. But when we're sitting there talking to another couple, it's just two couples talking. When you first started the show, how did you even figure out which couples, like weed out the couples that you wanted for the first season? And it what was, made you decide to start the show that yeah, as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll start there. I mean, the original, Nugget was with me. I was a single black woman in grad school. You're told that as a black woman, the more degrees you have, less likely you are to get married. Mm -hmm. um, as a black woman, you're less attractive to anyone, you know, in terms of uh, online dating, people are swiping left, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and my parents were divorced. So it was just like all of these strikes on my record of potential love. And I felt like there needed to be a place where I could see happy, successful, successful in the relationship sense, happy, successful, healthy black couples. And I wanted to create a place where black love stories live so that no one could say it wasn't possible, including myself. And fast forward many years, it was meeting him that I How brought How did you guys up. meet? 
You want us to just tell like all the stories. I mean, we dig here. That's what we do. We dig on love and grit. I love it. We love the love and the grit. So we met at the Toronto Film Festival in 2013. Ask her to tell you more. Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us more. He wants me to tell (laughs) you. Why do you just... (laughs) Because he wants me to act like I would say it this way. I would never say it this way. How about this way? Why don't you tell us the story? What happened? No. Why? I I approached him. Tommy would say I hit on him. That's not what happened. As she she throws her hair over her shoulder. He paid me no attention. And when he walked over to a different part of the lounge, I went and introduced myself. I used to do PR for Canon. And I was like, hi, I'm Cody. I work with Canon. If you're interested in the equipment, let me know. And he was like, oh, okay. Uh, I mean, and I was like, it. It, right? I don't remember what I said after that, but like something about his movie that had premiered the night before, like, oh, how'd it go? You know, so we talked about nothing, but I did give him my card and we ran into each other a couple of times that day. And by the nighttime at a party, we ran into each other and I said, so when do you leave the festival? It was Monday. And he goes, we leave on Saturday. And I said, well, we leave on Wednesday night, but we don't work during the day if you wanted to like chat. And he said, are you going to say it? Say it, please. Are you hitting on me? (laughs) He said, are you hitting on me? And And what did you say to him? I said, "Uh, I don't know. Someone grabbed him and they were like, Tommy, we need you over here. And he says to me, don't move. And I was like, okay. And then I disappeared immediately because I was mortified. And then I found her afterward and we wound up hanging out that night until three in the morning. We hung out until five in the morning the next night. And then we did have lunch that Wednesday. And then I went to LA that following weekend and we hung out that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And at that point I called five people and I said, unless something goes terribly wrong, I'm marrying this woman. What? Let me ask a black love question. What was the moment when y'all were talking to that in that 3 a.m. moment that you went, hmm. Oh, I'll tell you, but I will say that he had just premiered 1982, which is semi-autobiographical. I had not- And a Philly movie. And a Philly movie. Right, exactly. Shot in his grandmother's house where he grew up. So there was information in there where I could ask him questions about himself. And so that was a little bit of it, is that like, I got to know him in a way very quickly by asking questions and reading things. I asked him, what's your biggest goal? Is that what I said? Mm -hmm. And he said, to be the greatest dad ever. Oh. Can you imagine me holding back that reaction? Yes. Yeah, you, it was like, was oh, like, oh, okay. okay. If you say so. No, I didn't play it like that, but I definitely had to play it off because that was all I needed to hear. So we heard why you wanted to make Black Love. Yep. We heard how you met, but let's get back to Laia's third question. How do you choose the, the, the couples, couples, especially that first season? Yeah. Yes. In the beginning, we wanted couples who have been together 10 or more years because we don't want people talking and just platitudes and talking about things they didn't really know about. And it was also a bit of a a selfish element where I wanted to learn from couples. And so, but the selfish part was me. It's like, I know you did. But for me, like, I wanted to be married. I wanted to stay married and I wanted to figure out how to do that. And so sort of wanting to be a husband and a good husband and stay married and wanting to be an incredible dad, my, my dad wasn't around at all and didn't know the dude. And I remember being a kid and all I really wanted was just to have a normal family, was just to have my mom and my dad and my mom, there were other issues. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't have that. And so for me, I wanted to create a situation where I could be the dad that I wanted 
and I wanted to be the husband who could make my wife proud, but also be the sort of example for my kids and to sort of break the, the same old things. And so that's what it came down to. There's an article that Tommy was featured in when he was 17. This was the cover of the Philadelphia Inquirer. It said, on the bus, he pursues a better life. And I refused to go to King. King was my neighborhood high school. There were no AP classes. There were all sorts of things. One of my buddies got stabbed to death outside of King. And it was just like, this isn't what I want to do. And so I wound up going to school in the Northeast, George Washington High School. And I took three buses to get there. Three buses in Philadelphia is an eternity. Yeah, It is. And on top of that, I was in this program called Independent Study Before School, which started at 7 a.m. And so I got up when it was dark and I was on the bus when it was dark to get there before school. And then I played football also. And so I had practice afterward and I would get home when it was dark. And it was just this whole thing of going to Washington, being in the MG program, being in all the AP classes, doing all these different things. And it was the idea that it was a problem that I had to go outside of my neighborhood in order to, quote unquote, pursue a better life. And so that's part of what the article was about. But the reason I brought it up is because at 17, there's a line in the article where he says that it is a goal, a dream. I can't remember how you worded it. To be a good husband and father. Oh, my goodness. When he was 17, he said that. If they were to do a feature on you guys as a couple now, what would the headline be? Oh, Lord. I don't know. Because there are a lot of the whole idea around black love the show it's not particularly revolutionary we just turn the camera on what we all know and so it was like growing up and from the the neighbor across the street or that couple in church or whatever like these couples are out there they just don't get the shine they don't get the attention on in traditional media or on social media and so for us we just wanted to to normalize what we knew was a real thing and so it's just about it's kind of like duh it is like duh but the does that is the black community and the black experience is it not because while it doesn't feel revolutionary to you seeing it on tv and having it on a major network is revolutionary because there ain't been no other black love series in that form or fashion and what it hopefully does and did for us as black people is like normalize marriage period all the things that happen in a marriage and normalize seeing black couples happy or black people finding love period because that's very important to us but the other thing that I hoped that it would do and I think he shares this sentiment is to humanize black people I was thinking about this this morning because I was watching an old clip of season two premiere that we did and a a good friend of ours who's a gaffer on a million movies, old white man, he made this comment when he saw it and he said, you don't have to be black to love this show. (laughs) And someone else white said that to me this morning. And it was just a reminder that one of the reasons we created this show was because we as Black people are seen as everything but happy, loving husbands and wives and mothers and fathers in the media and entertainment. And so this was a way to showcase, you know, as I like to joke, Black people, they're just like us. You know, it was a way to showcase like marriage and relationships are the same. Yes, we have some specific blackity black moments in the series because we can do that and we talk about Greek life and we talk about issues that black people face, but relationship challenges, money and honesty are the same. And so that's one thing that really stands out to me. 
representation matters. Yeah, yeah. For sure it does. Yeah, yeah. It absolutely yeah, does. What you got? Let me hear it. Black love keeps it simple. Honesty, not antics. Oh. And so, oh. And so just honest, straightforward, not manipulating anything, not trying to push an agenda. It's just, it's us as we are. It's us working through stuff. It's us being happy, loving people. Some would say that right now, what we're doing, what you're doing, it's very in, it's very trendy. You know, black is a thing. (laughs) So how do y'all feel about that? How do you maneuver around it or with it? So in this same article, at the very end, we were asked that question. Because this was back in, August or September that they did this interview. So of course, right after all the protests, all of the conversation, they're like, so what do you think about the fact that like, essentially you're on trend? And so what I said was, I think the world has become a bit more aligned with where we've always been. It's not that all of a sudden we're doing these things, we're trying to capitalize on whatever. It's like, no, this is what we care about. This is who we care about. This is how we've been operating forever. Yeah. Like genuinely for as long as we've been doing this, you think about the very first movie I made, which is a movie called Kenya Rwanda, which is about the Rwandan genocide and how it affected us. And so looking at us as whole three-dimensional appropriately rendered people is what we do. Yeah. And it's all we care about. And so the world has just sort of come into alignment and they realize, oh, we should care about these things. Well, yeah. And I'm excited and proud that we have a body of work that does humanize and normalize us. That if people are going to be interested in it today in 2021, we can point them in that direction and not just say, okay, there's projects coming out. There's things being discussed now. No, it's there's plenty for, for anyone to look at and see the fullness of Black people. Mm-hmm. A study guide, if you may. Yeah. And bonus points if you learn something about relationships. How? What should we look forward to from you guys? We've got a lot of stuff coming up. We've got a really cool movie we're doing with Gabrielle Union based off a book that Cody found. We just have a lot. Can I just say whenever he's talking to people from Philly, because Tommy's not like generally jovial but if there is a call or a like zoom people. i'm like they're from philly then he's like he totally changes every conversation <laughs> it's different it really is we so communicate like, I, differently i just love philly with everything i have like i could go on and on and on from the the people and the culture and the food and just there's so much grit like grit the perfect word because no matter what it is as somebody from Philly, you just keep going. You keep pushing through whatever it is and you hopefully do it with love. And if you can make it in Philly, it's like, LA's a, I mean, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm from Philly, I'm good. Okay, Her's new fire potato chips and cheese curls, they are spicy. Whew. They're hottest snacks yet, hold on. But you know, it's not just heat. There's some nice, sweet, and savory stuff going on, too. Ooh, there's that heat again. It burns, but it burns so tasty. Ooh, that's hot. Find Hearst Fire Snacks at your store today. Ooh, taste the flavor, feel the heat, break out the Hearst. Now, this is one I've been waiting for. Please allow me to get personal for a second because I know this story is going to inspire you. 
I met Crystal Streets in a class we were taking at our alma mater, Clark Atlanta University, <clears throat> just a few years ago. <clears throat> yeah. She was, she was just as fly as her name. She was that girl on campus who always looked like she stopped at the best Manhattan stores before she Aww. unconsciously started using our Atlanta campus as her own catwalk. <laughs> I believe it was while we were in college that she started styling some of our favorite artists. I'm talking about Rihanna, Sierra, Will Smith, Jay-Z, Nas, and Mariah Carey. Okay, so follow me. She did that for years, maybe a decade or more, right? Even earning an Oxygen docuseries called House of Glam about her stylish life. That wasn't it for Crystal. Something else called her in a realm of jewels, crystals, and healing. She now stands out as a jeweler, healer, and diamond concierge. And I mean that in real life. Her brand has been featured in the Smithsonian Museum, HSN, Nylon, InStyle, Teen Vogue, and Glamour. But how do you even get into jewels and stones? And what is a diamond concierge? Let's ask her. <laughs> oh, thank you, my love. That was so beautiful. And I'm so honored to be here with you guys. Okay, diamond concierge. Yeah. Yes, diamond I mean, looking at your Instagram, I'm like, why isn't everyone <laughs> picking rings off of this? Yes. Can you this explain is. it to us? Yeah, so um, after styling, I had my daughter and I was like, okay, I was burnt out by the music industry and I was like, I cannot do this anymore. I was on a plane every two days. And quite honestly, I hit a plateau in my career. I had traveled the world. I had done every medium from commercials to award shows to world tours. And I was just honestly burnt out. And I was like, how can I transition my brand which was a service business as a stylist into a product business so that I can make money while I'm sleeping. And when I would dress my clients, you know how you get dressed in the morning and some you pick a piece to start with, a foundation? Well, I would start with accessories. Like I was always drawn to jewelry because for me, unlike clothing, which is very disposable, jewelry tells a story. And even if you're not into jewelry and you have one piece of jewelry that you wear, you know where you got it, who gave it to you, where you were. And it just has a personal kind of meaning to it. And so with that, I was like, I'm going to launch my own collection. So while on maternity leave, I designed this collection. I launched at Fashion Week and I was like, you know what? If this takes off, I'm leaving these people, this industry. I am out of here. And it took off. So I decided to leave. But you know, when you're like exit making your transition, you'll get a little dangle of a carrot. I think they called me about Usher's World Tour. How can I turn down Usher's World Tour? So I did Usher's World Tour, but they sucked the living life out of me. And I was like, that was my confirmation that, okay, I'm done here. For some of the aspiring stylists out there, when you say it took all your energy and stuff, tell folks what that involves, like doing a world tour like that. Okay, so styling itself, it may look very easy on the outside, but it's a lot of schlepping and hard work. And it takes a lot of your time. And essentially, when you have A-list artists like a Usher or a Will Smith or a Sierra, Rihanna, they require a lot of attention. So you are at their beckoning call because they have stuff that they're filming and taping and attending daily. Pretty much your life isn't your own. I need freedom as a creator and a manifester and a creative person. I needed freedom. And I felt like even though this is my choice, even though I loved what I did, I didn't like the politics of the music industry. It did not align with my soul. And I knew that because I didn't feel good after leaving these jobs. I felt depleted. I felt unappreciated. 
I felt like I was leaving dark energy every single time. I think a lot of people feel that way. And I mean, everyone would say like, you had the most amazing job ever. You know, everybody thinks every other job is amazing. Right. What's your advice for other people who feel that way? Because you've obviously found a path out. Right. So I think it requires a lot of courage and a lot of not seeking validation from outside of you. You have to create such a strong foundation of who you are that you have to give yourself the freedom to explore your soul's purpose and your passion. When you are doing things that don't align with what your soul came here to do or what you are passionate about, your soul's purpose, you are abandoning yourself. And people don't believe that they can actually do what they love and make money. And so I think when you don't go after the money and you go after what your passion is, I think when you are aligned with what you're supposed to do, the money comes. And there's a lot of, you know, limiting beliefs around money and abundance and all of that that we could get into as well. But I think you have to be strong enough to follow your gut, to follow your intuition and follow what you truly want inside. And and in order to do that, you have to know who you are. That's the hard work. Right? I was like, Nishi kissed you with the uh, lat. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. you have to know who you are. That's... Anyway, continue knowing, with your story. That was a good yeah. funny trail, as Rachel would say. <laughs> right. Yeah. right. When I decided to step out and start my collection, I put everything into it. And I started in costume jewelry. I went in to sell five countries. I had a show on Oxygen. And then I got to a point when I launched, it was a recession at the time. And nobody was buying luxury goods. Nobody was buying diamonds. So I lost launched in costume jewelry, which was perfect because it gave me a chance to like test things and really get my feet wet in the industry. And then in 2014, I transitioned into fine jewelry. And the crazy thing about this is is that when I thought about it, as a Black woman, diamonds are our own natural resources, right? They come from our motherland, but we own none of them. When I would walk around in the diamond district in New York City, people would be like, who do you work for? And I'd be like, me. Like, But they never saw someone that looked like me in this industry because it was run predominantly by Jewish and Indian men. It was basically a secret society. And I had to kick my way through the door. Like They didn't want me there. I had to earn the respect. But when I started to create these relationships and I could get in the door, I would just like make them love me. I think what I reflect in most people are themselves. I try to reflect the beauty that I see in everyone. Relationships are everything to me. And so that's how I kind of broke into the diamond industry. And what a diamond concierge is, it means that I have a mind. I don't work through a third party. There's a mind that I get. They have my, a mind. I'm sorry. Yeah, stop right there. We got to say that again and again. <laughs> I have a mind that I get my diamonds from. It's in South Africa. There is no middleman. They come straight from our mind to our factory. We manufacture them from rough diamonds into what you see as a final product of a diamond. I don't know if you've ever seen a rough diamond, but it's not pretty. And that's what I think of my life and my journey. Like my journey has not been pretty. It's been hard. It's been a lot of personal growth. It's been a lot of childhood trauma that I I had to take my whole adult life to heal from. And so the beauty of diamonds is the pressure and the refinement of it. The final outcome of the diamond is, is this beautiful sparkly stone. 
And so I call myself an alchemist because I take things that are kind of ugly and turn them into beautiful healing stones. And so I provide services to people who come to me for engagement rings, family heirlooms, for custom pieces. And I am able to provide them a variety of diamond options to choose from. It's a very custom, magical, intimate process. Your pieces are simply magical, not just diamonds, just your jewelry and your collection and everything from the love crystal collection Mm -hmm. to the love ritual. And thank you so much. The she collection. The she, yes. That's one of my favorite collections. It stands for solar healing energy, she that basically is inspired by a woman's innate femininity, like divine feminine energy, Mm. which is so powerful. Crystal, it's one thing to get into the the diamond business, but I want you to break down like you going into jewels and crystals. Yeah. Things that have to do with energy. That's a whole nother education. Yeah. About that. I'm slowly starting to learn. I've been given a crystal. I've been told to put it in the middle of my hand and do things. Yeah. So um, I've been on an amazing, very intense four year spiritual journey. When I had my son, I had a rebirth. You know, as children between the ages of zero and 14, that's when our belief systems, that's when our worthiness is kind of formed. So whatever would happen to you between the ages of zero and 14, it kind of sets the imprint for the rest of your life. And during those, not many people knew this about me, but my childhood was very, very, very traumatic. And honestly, it was my shadow. And the shadow parts of yourself are the parts that you are too ashamed to share with others. And about two years ago, through energy healing, through tons of self-work, self-healing, hypnotherapy, I came home to myself. And when I say I came home to myself, I created a beautiful, safe home inside of myself that I could come back home to. And so I no longer needed to look outside of myself for love, for security, for validation. I created that inside of myself. And through that experience, which doing this work, it's not pretty. It's ugly. It's so ugly. But on the other side of it, what awaits is like, oh my gosh, it's magical. It's beautiful. It's hopeful. It's it's like abundant. Mm-hmm. All these traumas and blocks and limiting beliefs are stored in your energy system, which is a chakra, seven chakra system. And it starts at the root. When it's balanced and open, you feel secure. Your needs are met. You can trust people. You feel accepted. You feel a part of a tribe or a family. But when it's not open, you feel resentful. You don't trust anybody. You don't trust yourself. You don't feel safe in your body. You're reacting. You're not responding. When the trauma is stuck, it has to be released, right? So when it does release, it manifests as pain. And that could be digestive issues. That could be reproductive issues. That could be hip and knee injuries. So all these things that we think we have, if you get migraines, if you got heart murmurs, if you have stomach issues, all of these things started energetically in your body. So when they've manifested into the physical, I don't want to say too late, but it's kind of bad. 
because it's been stored in the body for so long. So once I understood that process, I felt so attracted to this work. And I went and trained as an energy healer under the person who helped to heal me. And she's my closest friend now, healer and teacher. Her name is Milana Snow. She took me under her wing. And that's when I found what I was here to do, what gifts I was here to share with the world. I love my jewelry. Jewelry is my passion. It's a part of my healing tools as well as crystals. But my purpose in life is to help others go from survival to thriving because I was living in survival mode my entire life up until a few years ago. And so I want others to know that that's not normal. And the beauty on the other side of healing is just so magical. And I want especially our people to be able to experience that. I think Philly gave me resilience. I call myself unbreakable sometimes because I wasn't scared of anything because I've seen so much and experienced so much. I've been fearless my whole life. I swear, like Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal could walk in front of me and I swear I could handle him. Like, (laughs) (laughs) that's how powerful I thought I was. Are your kids like that? Have you been able to like, since you're like, you talked about the jewelry from the womb. Yeah. Have you been able to let them be fearless from the womb? Doing this work has helped me to teach my children and instill in them the things that I didn't get, which was to be heard, to be seen, to be accepted for who I am. No one trying to change me or make me believe, you know, I grew up with a very religious mother um, who imposed her religious beliefs on me that I don't agree with, but I didn't know that I didn't agree with them until, you know, I was an adult. So I'm about giving my children freedom to explore and fostering their gifts, their innate gifts. Like my daughter is an artist. She's a freaking talented artist. She has already commissioned work. And my son is just, he is like the brightest light ever. He came out of the womb meditating. He is just like calm. His name is Zen, first of all. So he is just like centered and so loving. He tells me he loves me and I'm beautiful maybe 10 times a day. So I think the kids got the better part of me. And, you know, a big part of how impressionable you are as a kid is what you model, what you see your parents or your caregivers doing. So I think me showing up as a strong entrepreneur is modeling them a difference. Like my mother was a very expansive woman. So I did inherit that from her and I did get to model a very powerful woman in business. But I not only wanted to be a powerful woman in business, I wanted to be just as beautiful on the outside and the inside. And and that's like what I teach my children, that the beauty is from within. And that sounds so cliche, but it's so true. Well, I'm Zen now. I'm going to go meditate with some crystals. Anybody else? I'm going to actually go online and look at more of the pretty crystals and jewelry. You're looking at the jewelry. Let's be honest. Okay, fine. Yeah, I'm about to say for the jewelry. I'm with you with that, Rachel. You know what? We're we're really upping our game in the crystal game because we started out loving Brit. You know, we sure did. Four seasons. Philadelphia Hotel. That's right. That feels like a decade ago. I know. We've spent a lot of good time together during this pandemic. 
Yeah, and we made some really dope episodes. So I hope everybody's caught up on last season of Love and Grit as we enter a new season. And as we close out the show, I just want to take a minute. I'm so glad, Rachel, you mentioned John Chaney at the top of the show, who we lost. I also wanted to give mention to Kevin Parker, who was a huge philanthropist and entrepreneur in the Philadelphia area. And we've all felt the void of his loss. We lost him last month. So I just wanted to give him some love as well. His food fed Philadelphia and fed our soul. Who didn't eat Miss Tussies? Who? Rest in power, Kevin. 